What's up everyone? Hello, welcome to the new and the latest episode of the Localization Podcast. This will be episode number 52 with Nicholas Gerard. In our last regular localization or TLP episode, where I interview mostly professionals from within our industry, we talked with Michal from Localize about automated QA or automation testing. And in this one, surprisingly, we are going to be focusing mostly on the manual testing. Nicholas works as a senior localization testing manager for Symbio. And he's one of the few people in the world who are loyal to their employer. Because looking at his LinkedIn profile right now, he has been with Symbio for more than 12 years. And all this experience has been as a tester or something to do with testing. So obviously, Nicholas is going to share a lot of his experience doing testing for Symbio in this episode. And what you're going to learn is, first of all, why testing is important and why companies should pay more attention to it. What exactly is manual testing? How is it different from automated one? And what are the requirements to become a tester if this is something that you would want to pursue or if it's a role that you want to discover? So that's enough from me for the introduction. And let's get right into the episode number 52 with Nicholas. Nicholas, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So where are you located right now? Let's start with a simple one. I am in Helsinki, Finland. I'm not going to give you my exact address, just so nobody send me email. <laughs> but I know that you're not a Finnish person, right? You are. No, I'm from France. From France. I was born in Nice. Mm-hmm. Explains the horrible accent. And um, <laughs> yeah, just uh, I moved to Finland 13 years ago now. And uh, <laughs> I stayed. Why did you move to Finland? I moved to Finland because I had met someone, which is the story of about 90% of the foreigners I know here. (laughs) The last 10% is because they came to study because Finland is the best system in the world, educational Mm -hmm. system in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So 10% of the foreigners here came to study. The rest came because they met someone. Let's start by describing what is it that you do and who you work for. Okay, so I work for Symbio. Symbio is a QA and development uh, company, IT company, basically. It's a company that is from China, but we have offices in Helsinki, in Sweden, and the US. I am at the head of the localization testing team in Finland. So basically, we do localization testing, mostly manual testing, like uh, I was mentioning to you before. I have a team of about 40, 45 testers from different countries, all from different native languages. And uh, we test applications, software, or websites uh, for customers in their own language. They check that the translations are correct, that everything is implemented correctly, that everything looks good. And then we send back the results to the customer. Right, right, right. This is a new thing for me that it's a Chinese company. I didn't know that. I thought it was a Finnish company. So do you Uh, you also deal with someone in China? We have uh, also a smaller team, a uh, localization testing team in China that works for also big customers, but 
there's no not much overlap. We have different customers in each uh, mm -hmm. places. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is Symbio, let's say your first touch point with localization. That's my usual question that I start with, like how people got into localization. Was was that how you ended up in localization, or does it have to do something with you being French? I studied to become a translator at first, so mm. I've always liked languages and all that. So I studied. I have a bachelor's degree in uh, English literature, culture, translation. I did some uh, interpretation. No, so yeah, I studied uh, mostly to do to become a translator in France, and then well, I went to Finland, met someone and ended up after finishing my studies, moving there. Since uh, it's a country where everybody basically speaks English fluently, even little children, and it's sometimes surprising. So I, it was easier for me to come here speaking English than for the girlfriend coming to France because she didn't speak French. And in French, there's like hmm. about three people that speak English and I'm one of them <laughs> and I left. So now there's only two left. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so then I found this, uh, a job at, uh, well, I, I was working at Symbio through a subcontractor at first. I was just a French tester. So whenever they needed a translation in French, uh, verified, I, that was my job. And slowly I, I climbed the ranks, uh, as they say. So being a French tester was your, let's say first experience with localization or did you do some work as a translator? Did you try to do something? I did some work as a translator before when I was still in France, but only small jobs, either for smaller book, bande dessinée, which is like comic books, the French comic books and all translations for those, or uh, like not really legal subtitles for files, uh, let's say for series. <laughs> <laughs> let's leave it at that. <laughs> but that was more for fun. That was not really paid. Uh, yeah. Okay. So was it like your, <laughs> like your, like your hobby project or did someone actually, I guess so. Yeah. We could call it a hobby that, yeah, just, uh, they need subtitles in French. Yeah. I can help. And I just helped with that. Okay. So actually the interesting thing is that right now I have a bunch of questions coming from translators who are trying to, to do something different. Do you think that, I don't know, going into testing is an easy way for a translator if you have that background or is it more about just being a native in a different language? Mm, yeah, mostly being native in a different language is the first step, let's say <laughs> that's where you start. And then of course, uh, yeah, having, having some translation background always helps. If there are testers that they send me a CV and I see that they've done translation, I know already that they're going to be quite uh, good and they're going to get the the job faster than someone who has never done any translation. Okay. I know that your, your trans translation experience wasn't that, I don't know, that huge, but how would you compare the two jobs if by any chance you could? In a way, well, translation, I would have the English source and translate it myself while with the, the current uh, job, at least the localization testing, it's already translated. I just verify that it's correct and that in the context makes sense and it's implemented correctly in the application looks good the text is not cut or anything so there's the step of actually translating that is removed from that if you go through localization rather than translation for me at least but there is of course a localization company that do actually only the translation in the testing we check it only yeah i think i think we can expand on that a little bit more, but like still 
still wondering about, you know, like the, the translator versus a tester. A lot of the translators mostly work as freelancers. And you mentioned that a lot of your testers are contractors, which you consider contractor kind of like a freelancer in a way. Yes and no, because, uh, for example, when we have testers that are signed through our contractors, some of them have been with us for seven years. So it's not anymore freelance at this point. It's they are kind of regulars and they know the job and they do that. But, uh, we do have some languages that we change tester pretty regularly because the, they either find another job and can continue helping us or they, they moved on somewhere else or they left the country and can't anymore do the job for us. So yes and no, I guess the freelancer part, some of them feel like freelancer, like it's just a small job for them that they do when they, just to get some scratch money, uh, pocket money to go outside. Others take it more seriously and have been with us for years. So, mm -hmm. so you would consider them like part of your team. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. There is a, a good bunch of them that are definitely part of the team. That if one day they decide to leave or move on or something, I will kind of be sad. <laughs> you will cry, your heart will be broken. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the to the whole symbio thing that you already touched upon, you know, like there are typical LSPs who do I don't know translation or testing, but your case mm -hmm. is different. Like you said, that you also do develop. Is the main reason why I would come to symbio is because I want to have, let's say, my app develop and test it. So I let's say trust your team to do to do pretty much everything to make sure that my app is, is is running fine. Or if I'm let's say developing something internally and I just want to test it, especially like for localization, why would I go to Symbio if let's say you don't specialize in the localization per se? And why would I choose Symbio over someone who's like a typical localization provider that focuses on localization testing only, let's say. That is a good question. Well, the thing is you can do from uh, beginning to end through Symbio, you can do start at the mm -hmm. development mm -hmm. and everything and have the QA and then the testing in other, in different languages and all, all streamlined in the same company by the same people. So that would make it more interesting, I guess, while if you have to uh, hire one company to do one part, one company to do another, one company to do the testing, one company for the localization and all that makes it a bit more expensive, probably. <laughs> so to your special, I don't know, scenario, the question to me is, okay, so you do the development and also the localization testing, but let's say, let's say I have an idea for, I don't know, a dating app, the, the, the new, new Tinder, and I want to have it developed by you, but you also do the localization testing, but who actually does the localization? Would I have to get the localization from somewhere else and then just come back to you? Uh, we have a partner, uh, a company called Accolade that is also in Helsinki, and we've worked with them as partners with multiple customers that we have, and we have meetings weekly with them and about the, some of the work we do for the customers. So we have already someone that can take care of it, uh, that we already have not subcontractor, I guess, but more like partners that really work with right, us right. when we need them. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I think that you, you answered the case, which definitely makes sense to me that, okay, I want to develop something and then you can also test it. So I just trust your team, but let's say I, I develop something internally. So when would I contact, especially you, since you're responsible for the department, why would I contact you if I just wanted to test something 
in, in different languages versus going to, a, let's say, a traditional LSP? Usually it's just because of our experience and uh, the, the quality of the work we make <laughs> that people tend to turn <laughs> to us and then they stay with us. So I guess we're doing something good. Yeah, uh, big, bigger companies that only do localization. I have some colleagues that have moved on and worked in those companies and all, and basically they do the same thing that we can, the same service that we provide. So mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. just one of the, mm -hmm. one extra thing that we can do while also being able to develop and QA everything. Yeah. I'm not sure if you can answer this question. So just tell me if it's if it's too much but i'm wondering whether you have some statistics or data about how many customers do let's say development and testing and customers that do just localization testing with you and they do development somewhere else may mm, actually with most of my the customers for the localization testing they they develop on their own there's just one i think team that uh we work with them on the development and the QA as well as the localization. So I guess that would be 80, 20% in that case, 80 develop themselves and ask us to check and 20 we do ourselves. Okay. I see. Okay, good. So now that hopefully this thing is clear to everyone who's listening and watching, um, let's start talking about manual testing. Mm -hmm. so you already mentioned some of the things that, that you do, but how would you describe manual testing to someone, I don't know, completely new to the industry that doesn't know anything about software, they don't know anything about localization. What is manual testing and, and what is the purpose or the goal of manual testing in your own words? Manual testing, at least uh, in our localization team is, uh, for example, a customer sends us, let's say a phone application. We will, uh, they send us a build for it. So we install it on our devices and then I, I take care of the test preparation. I, the, the customer gives us a scope of what they need to be tested, which features they want to have the translation checked, for example. And, uh, I, I prepare all the steps for the testers, uh, for, for the scope that we're given. And then the testers come and they check the areas in the app and all where the translations have been added in their languages to check that everything is translated correctly, is in context, uh, is implemented correctly, and it's consistent with the rest of the phone and all that. Like if, if there are terms, for example, like settings, that is the same word that is used in the actual phone settings and all that, like mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. have consistency as well everywhere. Mm -hmm. So basically it's just using an application and verifying that it works and that the translations are good. Do you mostly specialize in apps or can you test anything? Like if I had, I don't know, okay, website is maybe still kind of like a, like a software thing, but I don't know if I had like a documentation, would you still be able to test it or you leave it for someone else? Documentation, uh, it's mostly our partner, Accolade, that does check the the documentation, like proofreading kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. We, we mostly apps, websites and, uh, softwares. Like we, we actually like get our hands dirty, let's say, right. like actually interact with something rather than just read. It has to have like some sort of, uh, features working and all that, like different screens, uh, different views. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not just text uh, for us, at least the uh, testing. I think that, that that's pretty different from just proofreading, uh, documentation. Mm -hmm. You mentioned one word that may be not uh, known to many people. You mentioned built. 
How would you yes. describe what is a build and why is it important for testing? A build would be for us the file that uh, a customer sent, for example, with the latest version of an application that is not yet on the market, for example, just the, the few upcoming one with the new files, the new features and the new translations. So that uh, the it's basically an installation file uh, that would be the build uh, or could be if it's a website, it's uh, just the version of the website that will be uploaded in a few weeks that we can check already because they send us the build for it that is now accessible for via staging and all that. And going back to the basics, uh, I think I asked this question sometime before to someone who was doing uh, like a QA on games in the games industry. So is there any difference between QA and test or is it the same? I think it's the, the difference between QA and QC as well, that uh, QA, it's that you try to avoid having bugs and defects. Mm -hmm. So you have a proactive approach and you, while you're still developing something, you try to avoid having bugs while test or the product is already developed and you check it after to find the bugs that were omitted during the development. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's more of a... Um, Testing, you you check once it's already done, and you you report the bugs that are in it. While QA, it's you you make sure the no bugs appear inside before it's out. Right. So, do you do the testing part only, or do you also do the proactive? Mostly testing. We we with the customer at least we get the apps already done. So there's not really a part where we are taking part of the development. So mostly the testing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So previously you were saying that you do this thing called test case preparation, which to me is kind of like a, like a mm -hmm. big myth. I, I would like to get to the bottom of that, <laughs> but maybe let's start from the, from the very high level, this thing called strategy, you know, even strategy, you know, to me, it's like a big word. Uh, sometimes people just do strategies on their napkin and they get paid, I don't know, 200,000 a year to, to create <laughs> a strategy. So. I don't know if you in your role actually have to deal with something like a testing strategy. And if you do, or even if you don't, like what would you understand as a testing strategy? Like what does that actually mean? Like how would a strategy for testing look like? What, what would it cover? I guess by testing strategy, it's just the, the whole planning of things. Do you mean, is that that's the thing that I don't know what I mean by that. Okay. <laughs> I'm more like interesting whether, whether you use those terms. Like let's say a client comes to you and they say like, hey, we want to see the strategy first. Like let's, let's try to stay like very high level first before we get down into the nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm asking like about your experience. But, but if you don't create something like a strategy, that's completely fine with me because I just want to know how, how it is for you. Usually the customers come to us, like uh, they know what they're going to get, I guess I would say. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever used the word strategy for that. More like the, <laughs> okay. what's the planning for it? So we're going to first do this right. and then that, and then right. the results. And so I don't think the, the strategy thing is a meaning they expect to have the testing done and mm -hmm. the results delivered on time and all that. But, but I guess then the question is, okay, so if they want to get the testing done, what exactly does that mean? Like, how do you figure out the scope of the testing with the customers? Do they always tell you or do you proactively try to suggest what should be tested and how? 
usually the customer gives us the scope of what they want to have tested. Mm -hmm. So for example, they would have, they would add a new feature on a website or in an app and they will have mm -hmm. a, a block of strings that uh, they want to have tested. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they give us the amount of strings that they want tested during that round. And uh, then we check on that. But there are sometimes moments when we do proactive uh, suggestions as well. Let's say that you right. say, hey, last time this part was not that great. Can we recheck that one and all? And then if they have the budget, they accept to, mm -hmm. to add back some of the strings to do like some kind of integration testing uh, to see if the translation that were fixed before don't mess up anything or still look good or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Usually verification also is part of the each round when we report issues, the the strings that were failed by the tester that the testers said that this is wrong, the translation should be this uh, at, in the next round, they come back automatically in the scope so that we can see that the, the changes were made. Or if the translator changed it differently, at least the tester can see it and confirm if it's correct or not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, this to me is interesting about the let's say the quality of the translation. Is it in your experience a standard thing where the testers would suggest or complain about the translation quality? Because in my in my world, there should be steps before it reaches you that should ensure that the quality is there. Of course, some things can always slip. That's why we have the testing in the first place. But do your let, let's say do your customers expect you to, let's say, always focus on the linguistic quality as well? Or is it more like, okay, by the way, we noticed this as well, and we think it could be better a translation? Linguistic issues, at least, it's basically the most important part, actually, for us. Okay. It's like, uh, okay. first, the tester check the translations and uh, like in priority, let's say it's first translation, then if it fits correctly in the phone and all that, like it's uh, really they're mostly actually looking for linguistic bugs rather than huh. like functional issues. And uh, we do report that. <laughs> That's what we do. You completely turned my world upside down now. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put it back. <laughs> wow. So this is, this is interesting. So, so do they, do they test it in, I don't know, two stages? Like where first of they look at the translations or do they always, do you always want them to look at the translations, like within the context, like within the actual app? Well, we have um, a file on the computer, um, depending on wh which, uh, which application the, the, the customer uses. We have customers that use WeLocalize. We have customers that use MemoQ. Uh, some you still use good old fashioned Excel files with just like the lines, in one uh, column for each language and all that. But also we have some customers that have actually developed their own uh, kind of localization testing tools, which we can use where they have all the strings inside the app already. So the tester sees the English source, the translation in his language, and then has the steps on how to reproduce in the application. So he already has seen the translation before they check inside the app. So then they have an idea already what it should be. And if they see in the app that it doesn't make sense, uh, compared to how to get there, for example, if they click on settings and end up in a menu called uh, parameters or something like that, then they know that something went wrong in the translation because it's not the same consistency and all that. So yeah, they, they, it's a bit of both. Like they see the translations before they actually reach them in the app. So 
then they know already if it's wrong or right. Uh, <laughs> That's interesting. At least in my experience, I'm not sure. And maybe this, this is another thing that we can talk about, like the types of testing. But from mm -hmm. what I know is that, or the way that I even explain it in my course is that Kiwi is there to, let's say, play with the app as the, as the end user would. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's mostly focused on like, is it working? Is it doing the same things? Like, can you get to the, can you get to the same result? I don't know that as if you took the same steps in, let's say English. Mm -hmm. And, and the linguistic quality is really just like, by the way, like, have you noticed anything? Like you can report it, but we already assume that the quality is there during the translation process before the translations made it into the build for testing. Okay. So that to yeah. me is like. It's a different, uh, like flipped, uh, <laughs> you know, for, for yeah. at least for me, maybe actually I'm doing it wrong and nobody told me <laughs> since the beginning, but the translations is like the, like, let's say 60% part important and 40% is the testing. And of course, because usually the companies we work with, at least they have QA teams and all that, that have probably already ironed out the issues. If there is functional issues in their applications that they know mm. of at least. I see. And uh, when we test, we sometimes find new issues and report them as well because we we report linguistic issues, but also functional issues when we find some that appear in multiple languages, so that then you know that it's not an issue with the one language but several and or something like that. But then going back to what you said initially, that your let's say main criteria for someone who has a chance to work as a translator is to be native. So if you are focusing a lot on the linguistic quality do you also expect them to have some sort of like a background like at least knowing i don't know proper grammar in i don't know French yeah usually we have a <laughs> kind of a help. first interview yeah i have an interview with the testers and usually i would say like seeing depending on how they speak english already you can kind of know if they're gonna be maybe they speak correctly in their language but they just don't speak english good enough but most of the time, if you don't manage to make a sentence in English, you probably cannot in your own language uh, for the grammar or like spelling and all that, that you're like, hmm. We have had testers in the past that uh, passed through the cracks and uh, the first uh, round of testing they did, we send the results back to the, the translators, to the customer and the translator like rejected all of the bugs that they, they, they did saying like, there's a spelling mistake in their correction. The grammar is wrong in the in the correction. You're like, ah, okay. Let me see one second with the tester. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, usually also yet kind of they get to it. They, and if we see if the translator don't reject most of their bugs, we we can feel confident that they know what they're doing. So let's go back to our strategy that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just kind of like try to guide people maybe from, I don't know, let's say from the start to finish, like how does, a, I don't know, testing project, do you call it a project or? Yeah. Cause well, with, uh, with most of the customers, at least they have different applications or like, it's not just one thing. So each we call them kind of project, like there is the project A, project B, project C, and it's a round four for project A and round three for project B, for example, something like that. So we call them project. Okay. So you mentioned the word round. Maybe explain to us what the rounds mean and wh why we need more rounds. So does round mean that I'm testing the same thing that I tested 
before, like if it's round two. Each uh, testing round is for a new part. So let's mm. say, for example, the first round of testing, you're going to check the whole settings menu in an application. Then in the second round, you should check another part, like the about portion of the app and all that. So in each round, usually we have different kind of places to check. But also, um, if the the source changes in between, then the, the strings, each string, if uh, some strings have the source, the English version, usually we have the source in English, that changes uh, and the translation, the, the string has to go through translation again, it comes back in a, in a round of testing later on so that we can verify that everything is correct. Now, my maybe stupid question is, why would you even want to split something into these rounds? Is it that some features, let's say, let's say we have round one and round two. So the things from round two are not ready yet for testing when round one starts, or do you just want to, for some other reason, break it down into, I don't know, smaller chunks? Yeah, it can be that uh, it's not ready yet, or it can be that uh, it's a feature that's not yet available in some countries. So for example, if there is one part that is not going to be available in Germany or something, it's not necessary to test it in German. So then we have a separate round where it's only the languages where it works, things like that. Like it, it can be either from new features or just some some customers also like in because of budget reasons, they want to test just one part of the application and not everything. So that becomes one round and the other one later on. Let's say if I have a project that has a lot of words to translate, uh, I want to, mm -hmm. let's say, split the translation. Let's say I'm doing a translation from English to French and yeah. I cannot meet the deadline with just one translator. So I give the work to two translators, but there mm -hmm. are always, let's say some downsides to splitting the translation. How, yeah. how, how does it work with testing? Do you prefer to have, if you can have, let's say the whole French, I don't know, built tested by just one tester, or is it normal that you, I don't know, somehow split the work within a round into multiple testers if the scope is big? No, usually we, we keep the same tester per language. Let's say it's the, it's going to be the same tester. And if around as a, a big scope, usually we just warn the testers in advance, like there's a big round upcoming, uh, would you be available for it? And if not, then we check for another tester really fast or something like that. Okay. But it doesn't happen a lot that we use a uh, two different person for the same thing mm. at least. Usually the, the same ones kind of stick with us and. We just mm -hmm. use the same ones for the same things. Mm -hmm. mm, that's, that's also interesting. And usually you can see also the, for what you said that the, there is two translators doing the same thing. You, that's when, if it's one person testing it, you can see the inconsistency more easily because you, you know, you've read the first part and then you get to the second part and you're like, that's not the same words. <laughs> that's right, not the right. same kind of translation, the same phrasing right. or anything. But isn't it, I don't know, too, too risky to, to rely on just one person for the quality? It can be when, uh, it can happen sometimes that you get a tester that is not really reliable. And when you, when it's smaller tasks, they're fine. And when you get to bigger tasks, they start to be like, I'm not going to be able to do this. And so then you have to kind of <laughs> find, uh, 
find someone else or try to negotiate with the tester. Like, please, can you, we will ask for more time. Can you do it for us? And all that, that's a, it's a, it gets tricky, but so far I'm knocking on wood, but I never had too much problem with that. We managed <laughs> to find a, a really good team. Yeah. Maybe you have a good, um, recruitment process. Could be, could be the subcontractors at least do an excellent job. Usually at finding, sometimes we have requests for languages that you don't expect them to find at all. And they managed to find one super fast. Like let's say a Catalan person living in Helsinki that would be able to test Catalan or something like that. <laughs> so, so do you also have some requirements for some projects where the people have to, I don't know, physically, let's say, I don't know, come to the office because of NDA with the client or something could be only tested, I don't know, within your office or within some location or? Yeah, we do have uh, NDAs uh, with all the testers and uh, most of the application that we test, they, we test them in the office and it has to be at the office. Uh, well, the last two years, because of COVID, of course, there we had to kind of take measures and uh, we, we managed to do it via sending screenshots instead of having the actual app in hand, for example. But it's, it, it was a lot more work, at least for a few of us that had to take the screenshot. But uh, otherwise, usually, yeah, the testers come to the office and uh, we have devices. It's been a while since we haven't had a prototype or anything of a phone or something that is not out yet but we had that before so the the phones could not leave the premises at all for example or um, prototypes of any not necessarily phones but other things uh, that we can't really put outside of the office mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it's mostly at the office when i was checking your profile i think your last post was about something about office like you moved to a new office? Yes, probably. Just uh, did it again now, actually, but I didn't pause this time. <laughs> um, okay. So I want to still ask a little bit more about, you know, like trusting the, the testers. How would you discover that someone is not working out? Because the, the example I think that you gave is that someone would not be able to take, uh, let's say, a bigger project which to mm -hmm. me is more about like their availability or something like that. But if somebody's, you know, there are some people who are like really like eager, eager to do something, they actually do it, but they don't do it that well. So how would you <laughs> yeah. actually test a tester? Or how do you know if the tester actually delivers a good, good stuff? Um, well, usually they would go through at least a round of testing and then the, the customer would tell us we, we have good communication with the customers usually. So at least if there are issues with one of the languages, they will tell us like this language had a lot of uh, corrections that were rejected by the translator saying that the, the corrections were bad. So then it, I would kind of try to talk with the tester saying like, can you be a bit more attentive next time? Or like if the translator company, the our par partner company, tells us what kind of issues the, the testers. Usually with new testers, they are eager to, to, to please, let's say, so they find every single issue possible they can. And the, mm -hmm. the translator can be like, okay, those are more like preferential improvements. Mm -hmm. Can you tell the testers mm -hmm. not to refail that anymore and all that? So then the, I have a conversation with the tester and if they don't seem to understand after another round, we <laughs> try to right. find someone else. Okay, so th this is one one case where you get a feedback from the translators. But mm -hmm. what I'm thinking more is on the, on the, let's say the functional side, let's say for some reason, 
only the I'm still going to use French for for the rest of this interview. <laughs> but let's say the French app has some very critical bug that I don't know, mm-hmm. like once you get to some very deep level of functionality or somewhere deep within the system, it just crashes. And it was it was part of the testing, but for some reason that the tester who was doing it just doesn't go there or just they just pass it even though they don't check it. And then it's the users the actual end users of the app who discover this. Yeah. So can you even prevent these things somehow? Or is it really just about the trust? Um, well, usually during test preparation, at least I have the, the application in English, but I kind of go into all those menus myself just to see if I find before even starting the, the localization testing round, if I find any functional issues in the app. So then I can send it back to the customer saying that the build is not working great. Can we get a better build, an updated version or something? But sometimes there, it happens that we get functional issues that uh, someone internal to the, the the customer company has they, they received by end user feedback on the app that something is not working. Then they, they come back to us and say like, didn't you see that it was not working? And mm-hmm. that, that's usually when I check with the tester like, didn't you see it was not working? What would be the follow-up? Okay. So you, you ask the tester about this, like, didn't you see this? And I don't know, like what, what, what would be the, I don't know, the expected reaction or how would you make sure that next time they actually do a proper job or would you would you try it on your own whether they could have caught it yeah i would at least try on my own to see if it was something that for example the scope the strings that we had in scope were not leading to that part that does not Mm -hmm. work Mm -hmm. then it's Mm -hmm. not really the fault of the tester because that part wasn't to be checked anyway right but if it was part of the scope and all then i would definitely check with the tester like how come you didn't check that part which was in the scope and uh, maybe change the tester if it seems that they just didn't do the job correctly at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Depending, of okay. course, if it's a huge critical issue, yeah, then you kind of have to replace the tester, apologize to the customer, and tell, sorry, I thought the tester was good, but turns out he wasn't. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but the thought that I had about, I don't know, like checking if somebody is thoroughly testing something mm-hmm. is maybe do you do you check the number of bugs that each language reports? And maybe if, I don't know, 10 languages report, I don't know, 100 bucks. And for the one language the person reports only, I don't know, 50 or 20 bucks, that it's like a warning signal to you? Mm. Depends, actually, because we have lots of languages where the translations are correct and the app works. So they have a minimum number of issues. And then there's one language, like let's say Dutch, that has like a problem on every sentence. And then the the translator report everything that uh, it's the informal way, it should be formal, blah, 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 etc. So then um, usually for each language, there is about maybe 5% issues uh, on each scope. If there is 100 strings to test, they have usually 5 to 10 issues, uh, bugs in the language or functional. But it does happen that everything is a pass for a tester and that 
well, it just worked fine. So what can we say? <laughs> the translator did a good job and the app works. So. <laughs> so going back all the way to the beginning process, and you mentioned the, the, the test preparation right now, and I would assume that if we don't do any fancy things like a strategy, then that's how you would start. And this to me was always a mystery. Like, how do you actually build the test cases? And maybe you can also explain what the test cases are. Let's say a client comes to you with a new feature. Do you expect them to give you some kind of like a guideline, like how to build the whole testing plan? Or is it just like what you mentioned that you just try to play with the app and try to discover it on your own? I guess it's a bit of both, but uh, usually when good uh, with our customers, at least they, they, they have for the, each string, there is a, a description part where it kind of says where you should find the strings in the app, the tools that is the most easy to find anything is the it's usually in the string ID, the logical ID. Mm -hmm. You have kind of the, the path of this. If there is a strings that is in the settings of an app, let's say settings, appearance menu, usually the logical ID would say settings, appearance. So you kind of just go to the settings, then check appearance menu, and then you can find right. the strings that you're looking for. So right. usually the description, the logical ID, plus kind of like you said, playing with it, looking for it. That's a good mix to, to usually find the, the, the steps to get uh, the test cases. And as you were saying, the test cases, uh, well, usually the steps, for example, to a certain place in the application, like open application, go to settings, go to this menu and check. There is five strings on that view and then just check those five strings. That would mm -hmm. be like a common way, like just like steps mm -hmm. leading to, for the tester to find what you're, you want them to find. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand, it seems to me like the whole approach is really string based. Like you get mm -hmm. a bunch of strings that you need to kind of like a test, but then of course you have sometimes, I don't know, you have like a screen with many strings, right? So mm -hmm. do you, do you group them like based on, let's say the same location and you then turn that into a test case? Like, let's say I would have test case that goes to, I don't know about, about the company or something like that about the app. And there you check the multiple strings or is it really just you go string by string and you create, I don't know, the steps to go to that one for each string. No, usually we can group them, uh, with some of the programs we use, we can group where they are so that you can see like, uh, also on this view, and then you have the list of strings that are appearing at the same place. We can link them together so that it's easier for the tester. Then it's not the same steps repeated 15 times that they have to start from scratch every single string. like. If they see that all the strings are on the same view, then it's, it says on the test case that it's all there. Okay. So how do you build test cases for testing functionality? We can do sometimes also some, uh, there is a term for it, which I just forgot. I had it <laughs> just a second ago, but uh, where we just like test an application, but without a real, a real list of strings, let's say, just like check those five views. And you open the one menu, you open another menu and all, and then you check that everything is okay on each screen, that there's no truncation or uh, layout issues or anything with the language. So it depends on the customer. Some, sometimes one round will be just specific 
test those five strings. And sometimes it can be like a check the whole settings view, for example, mm -hmm. in every language. So then we have the testers just come check the whole settings view. And if everything is displayed correctly, they just, okay, that's fine. And, and talking about like the whole preparation or planning, the result of test case preparation, first of all, like to, to have the set of test cases that you want to be testing in that round. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a uh, test preparation. I just prepare for the scope given all the steps to get them uh, so that the mm -hmm. testers just have a simple, uh, as straightforward as it is, they just follow the steps and define what they're looking for. Right. Right. How do you budget the whole thing? And I'm not, not mostly interested in, in the dollar amount, uh, but like, like how much time would people need to test it? Like, can you, do you have some metric or some formulas or is um, it just based on your experience when you're preparing the test cases? Yeah, there is some sort of a formula, but mostly experience. Like I think on some of our contracts, we have a, a certain amount of string would be an hour, for mm -hmm. example, so that then when, when the, they give us a scope and it's like 200 strings, they know that it's a certain amount of hour minimum per tester. Right. Right. And then the, there is on top of that, the test management, uh, the hourly rate, which is my job. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. next question that I had here is, is again, more like a general thing. And I know the term smoke testing, which hopefully you can also help to explain, <laughs> but I'm wondering what kind of different types of testing, uh, people can do or like companies or, or what kind of different type of testing do you offer to the, to the customers? So far, it seems that mostly we're focusing on, I don't know, like, let's say the, the linguistic thing, uh, that you do as part of localization testing, but as part of localization testing, we also mentioned functional testing. Yeah. What kind of different types of tests? Well, since usually they give us a scope of what they want to have tested, I guess we kind of have already the scope that they want us to check. We can do uh, smoke testing. Smoke testing is just, you open each view quickly, just to see that the app works correctly, for example, while we, we would check more precisely the strings uh, rather than just an overall. Sometimes we have at the companies, the customers that told us uh, to check if the quality of the translation overall is good, but as part of a smoke testing, and I'm not a big fan of that because you can't really check everything just by looking at it. Uh, quickly at a glance, like it has to be a bit more thorough. And, um, so yeah, since usually our customer come with their own scope, we, we don't get a chance to do that much smoke testing for them. You also mentioned integration test. Mm -hmm. What exactly is integration test? Say you have an application version one, and then in version two, they add some bigger parts on top of it mm -hmm. and you kind of have to just still check that version one still works with version two on top of it mm -hmm. or things like that. Just as the, the application, they add features to any application. You have to check that the previous features still work uh, while the new things are there. So that would be integration testing and sometimes adding new things causes the old things to not work as good as it did before. Then uh, another fancy thing term that I know is load testing. Do you also do load testing and what, what does it mean? It's just a, like a specific part of the app that you test, uh, 
Isn't that it? Load testing? From what I know, load testing is um, to test if the app breaks, if you have a lot of, let's say, requests coming in. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I just to try to make it fail, uh, to make it crash yeah, yeah. on purpose. Yeah. Uh, no, we've actually Maybe. never done that. That must be fun, though. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the, the apps on the phone, you know, like they probably contact a server somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if you are like a startup, maybe you don't have budget for so many servers to support all the requests. So maybe the, the load testing, like kind of like simulates that, okay, like if I don't know, thousands people around the world at the same time would, I don't know, swipe right or swipe left, can the server take all that information before it crashes? Don't do that at least uh, with my team, but uh, that must be fun though. <laughs> <laughs> I know there were people doing stress testing of some of the devices and like basically throwing a phone on at the wall for really? hundreds of times just to see if it could survive <laughs> and all. And that's something I'm like, can we do that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, let's move a little bit more towards the part where the testers find bugs. What do you expect them to, to report? How does a test to report a good bug? Usually we, um, there is a several type of, uh, issues of bugs that they can find. So there's, first of all, the first part would be either if it's a linguistic issue, if it's an internationalization issue, or if it's a functional issue. And, uh, when they pick one of those three. Yes. Can you explain what, what does internationalization type of bug mean in this, in this context? At least in that context, it would be that, for example, uh, the translation is wrong, but it's because there is something wrong with the source, like mm -hmm. rather than the, mm -hmm. it's not the translation that is the issue. It's, it was at the beginning, the context of the source of the, for example, if, if a translation says to press a button to do a thing and the, the, the English actually says, do not press the button, for example, then that's clearly not the translator's fault. That's the, from the source at the beginning. If there are any issue that happened, for example, a truncation or layout issue appears in the source, usually it will appear in all the languages after that. So that's, that's where it should have been fixed at first. And, uh, yeah, then if they pick, um, the first uh, type, which would be linguistic, then there is a type that open uh, a different, uh, let's say a drop down menu where there is like uh, incorrect translation, grammar, spelling, um, variable issue. If there is a variable that wasn't copied uh, correctly in the translation, anything there, the, one of them, one that is more commonly used would be improvement, meaning that the, the source, the translation is not necessarily wrong, but the translator has a more common way to say it or something like that. So they would fail it as a, as an improvement. And uh, then they choose the severity, like from minor, moderate, major critical issue. Do you, do you have some guidelines for that? Like based on like, like what kind of defects would the programs that we use, or even in the Excel back in the days and all, we had those already set in the, in the file. So usually when I train a tester, the first round, let's say I show them all of that. Uh, like, then if you pick that, you can pick one of those, you pick the severity, and then you explain 
they give a correction and then they explain why it was wrong. And call in a, in the same package, let's say. If you click on pass, then the, it moves to the next one and you don't have to worry about it. That's when you click on fail. If there is an issue, then it opens that submenu of a... Maybe I wasn't clear. I was, I was just asking about the guidelines for the severity. Like, you know, like, because like some people can think about like, okay, this bug is critical for them, but maybe for some it's... Yeah. Usually I would ask them to use common sense. Like mm -hmm. I, there's not often a really critical issue in the translations, let's be honest. Right, right, right. But if there is something really like it insults the user instead of saying like press right. play or something, then yes, that, that <laughs> would be a critical problem. That has never happened, thankfully. <laughs> But um, yeah, usually I ask them to use common sense. And also just before sending the results to the customer, I do my own QA of the results. Mm -hmm. So I, if I see that uh, in their comment, they explain like uh, the translation was correct, but there is a better way to say it, but they have put it as a major issue. It's like, nah, not really major. Considering you wrote a comment that said that it was not a big issue, you can put major as the issue. So right, then right, I, right, I ad right. adjust if there is need of adjusting, then I deliver to the customers. So do you actually have to like yourself check all the issues? I'm sorry, bugs reported by the testers for all the languages? I do. Yeah. Just be a, the, oh. that's part of my test management tasks. Let's say like when I get all the results, I, I I verify also like if there are some functional issues that they say the app does not work at all when we do this, I do test myself just to see like, did they reproduce something wrong or is it really an issue? And then I report the functional bugs myself uh, on Jira or whatever place they're using. So then I have done it myself and I know what I'm talking about rather than just trust the tester that uh, <laughs> he said it doesn't work. So it doesn't work. <laughs> if you are checking all the bugs, like how many bugs do you check a day? For example, like I said, if there is only like five, 10 issues per language, if, uh, if a round of testing is, for example, only testing 15 languages, then it, it, it takes a few hours for sure, but it doesn't take that, uh, that long uh, for that. At least I can, I try to count a, a day or two for the QA part of the results where I check that everything is under control, that the comments make sense and all that. And if I have questions, I send back to the tester asking, could you elaborate a bit on that and things like that? Because I try not to accept a comment that says just it was wrong. <laughs> That's not very right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, actually speaking about that, you mentioned that the next thing, like after they fill out the fields, you want them to say like, what should be the correct or the expected thing like the translation or whatever and to provide some reasoning but what what do you do for the for if there is functional issues uh when they pick the functional category in the first place then it opens uh, another drop down menu that has like a wrong implemented string uh truncation the characters not uh, displayed correctly for example if there is some like Chinese, for example, and instead of Chinese, you see just little squares or something like that. That's characters not implemented or something like that. 
So then there, there are a few categories and there's the last one, which is like other. And then in the comment, they explain like exactly what happens or what it shows or why. If the app crashes, when you click on a button, they explain like what is exactly the issue. So then I can report it to the customer. Okay. I see. And how about screenshots or videos? Is it, is it a standard that you require for each buck? Uh, report it or is it is it not that mandatory uh, for the link uh, functional bugs yes i usually add a screenshot in uh, jira slash jira slash whichever however it's pronounced <laughs> and uh, uh but for linguistic bugs usually they don't necessarily need a screenshot for each of them like the tester just because we have the source and the text so the tester and the translator can just correct it there and the translator doesn't necessarily need to see the screenshot showing him how he was wrong. Uh, <laughs> you already see it in the file. You don't have to have a screenshot showing you how you're wrong uh, added to that. <laughs> right, 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 right. But about the about the functional bugs, do you w wouldn't you prefer videos that like show like I don't know how it crashes or is screenshot enough? It depends uh, if it if it's something like the screen uh, flickers or something like that, then yeah, you would need a video because you can't really take a mm -hmm. screenshot of that. But usually, since uh, most of the functional bugs are layout issue or things like that, I would just take a screenshot of that where you see that it's uh, displayed wrong. Makes sense. Speaking about these, these things, uh, do you have any preferred tools? that you suggest people to use for screenshots or for video, especially like on mobile? On mobile, usually just uh, pressing like the lock button and volume down or on iPhone, the, the front button, home button and the lock button at the same mm -hmm. time work. Okay. So usually just doing that is enough. If not, just uh, there is like the screen capture tool that you can get in the notification bar at the top. So you can just film what's happening on the screen. Okay. Those are already implemented already in the devices. So, yeah. Mm, okay. So that's enough, but for mm -hmm. desktop, like, do you have anything for desktop? Uh, just uh, the good old window uh, crop uh, thing, <laughs> like the, the application <laughs> okay. that's native in window for right. taking okay. a snap of the screen. Uh -huh. And for the videos? Uh, videos, we have a few tools, yeah. Uh, I haven't used any in a while, so I don't exactly remember which, but it was some simple apps that you can download on the mm -hmm, internet mm -hmm, mm -hmm, pretty easily. Okay. And also, since we're talking about the tools, uh, let's talk about the Jira. So are you using Jira because it's, let's say, your preferred system for bugs, or is it driven by the customers? Mostly driven by the customer. We we have some customers that use Bugzilla, some that use Jira, Jira, and uh, like depending on the customer, we use what they they are used to mm -hmm. internally. And what what would be your preference? I would say I'm used to Jira mostly. Like it's easier to just like fill all the mm -hmm. parts that are important, add the description and all that. Like mm -hmm. I used to remember Bugzilla. There was some aspects of it that were like very slow that you had to do a lot of copy pasting and all that rather than just copy every information in the next book right away at least in Jira, it's easier for that you can mm -hmm. do multiple 
pick multiple bugs and edit them at the same time rather than have to go back and forth in each one. Okay, good. Now, final set of questions that I have for you is about the role of a localization tester. Do you, do you actually remember how you started as a localization tester? Did you just send application and you were <laughs> selected because you were French or? Yeah, I, I had found uh, uh, in Finland, they have a website where they post all the job offers and all that. And I had just typed French in the description so that it looks for everything that has the word French in it, just in <laughs> case there is some translation work. And there was. <laughs> so then I, I, I applied and... Um, had an interview with them. And since I, I said that I had a bachelor degree for translation, they were like, well, it involves translation as well. Then yeah, I got the job. Mm -hmm. So do you think that starting as a tester is, I don't want this to sound bad, but it's, it's easier than, I don't know, maybe like starting as a, I don't know, manager or something like that. Like the requirements are not that big because like in, initially we were talking about like being a native mm -hmm. in certain language is, is one of the key things. Is there, is there more to it or? Not necessarily, at least for localization, it's definitely good to start as a tester because you, you know what, like it's not the bottom of the barrel, let's say, but it's just like, you know what the, the, the basic parts will be. And then when you work in higher function, you know what the, the ones at the bottom have to do. Because for example, there are definitely some people that are here directly as a manager that have no idea what the other people do. And <laughs> it's usually better if you know what other people under you are doing in that aspect. Right. But other than being native, what, what are you looking for? Well, you pick your team. I, I understood that and you are mm -hmm. quite happy with them. Yeah. But what, what else matters? Because, you know, like everyone in this world is native in some language, but <laughs> I guess not, not all of them would make a good tester. So what else are you looking for when you're picking? Usually if they're a bit tech savvy, that definitely helps. Like. If there is a tester that is, let's say, 70 years old that applies for a language and you know that they cannot use a phone, for example, <laughs> or they open their phone in front of you and there is 70 different browser open, you know that it's not going to be a match. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wait, wait, that, that is actually an interesting thing because I know, I know a lot of PMs actually, they have so many tabs open. Sometimes yes. I also end up like that Same. and I'm, I'm very mad mad at that and then i try to close them because i think you should just focus on on the one thing that you're doing so and there's always one that plays music and you don't know which one it is and it's a headache <laughs> <laughs> so why is it a, a warning sign for you if somebody has many tabs open <laughs> no it was more about the tech savvy part uh, usually oh. i know there is memes about that like for example when you visit your parents and so your parents send you a phone. There is like 15 different app open in the background and all that. And you're like, oh, I really? See, I, see. <laughs> I see what you mean. But yeah, it is definitely better to have less things open and focus on the, the one thing at hand. Even if sometimes I have a list of 15 bugs, I open them all in tabs and then I check them one by one, but you mm -hmm. still have everything open on the, right. on the background. Right. 
do, do you somehow test in the in the process how people can report the bugs? Like, let's say if they're reasoning, you mentioned that that was one of the key things, you know, like explain to me like why this is a mm-hmm. bug. Do you test that? Like how well they can explain it in English? Uh, yeah, like, well, like I was saying, usually during the, the first interview, I try to, I realize if they can have a conversation in English and then can probably write in English. Mm-hmm. If they are looking for words or not really sure about themselves, you know that they're not going to be able to give you a detailed information about why something is a bug or not. Mm-hmm. So usually during the, the first interview and the, before I ring them, you can know if someone is going to be a good match or not, mm-hmm. depending if mm-hmm. they speak correctly uh, in the first place, English. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. What do you think is the most challenging thing of being a tester? You were a tester yourself. So <laughs> is it, is it, do you think it's a job that you can easily burn, burn out, burn out? Uh, not necessarily. Actually, the, the challenge for me at the time and for a lot of testers I know is that uh, it's there can be a month where there is like five rounds of testing and there can be a month where there is just one and it's only 20 strings to check. Mm-hmm. So then it's like uh, most of the testers being paid by the hour. I understand that when there is a month when there's not that much right. work, it's not great for them. Right. And um, so the challenging part is not the stress, but it's... On the contrary, like the lack of work sometimes I would, I would say, I remember at least when being a tester that I wanted to just call the manager every time, like, is there something coming or not? Would you suggest something that freelancers are doing? Because freelancers typically have multiple clients, right? That they're yeah. translating for just because of this reason. So do you suggest the same thing for tester? Like if I want to be a full-time, I don't know, tester that's not hired by a company, but yeah. I'm like uh, it contractor. would be better to have several customers, yeah, definitely. Okay. And my final question that I have here is, again, this could be based on my experience when I was doing localization for something. Mm-hmm. I definitely much more preferred when I was doing, let's say, localization of the infamous Windows Vista. I was working on that one. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But at least it was something that I'm using, right? Because I'm using Windows, you know? Yes. But, but when I was working on localization of something that may be the number one, I don't know, tool or software for something that I have never used before, like, I don't know, like doing cat design or something like that, I wasn't <laughs> that invested. So my question is for testing, like, do you think it's better if... I'm testing something that I have, I don't know, personal interest in, and maybe because of that, I can, I don't know, devote more attention to it, or you think it just doesn't matter and it's more about attention to detail in general? It is definitely better when you work on something that you are familiar with or like or use even yourself, because, uh, yeah, we've had testing before for, let's say, companies that do sports watches or things like that, and that. Mm. all the different sports that you can do with the sports watch and all, and that you have to test if every mode works correctly. And like, I don't do a a lot of cross country skiing, for example. And so (laughs) testing that part in the application doesn't mean a lot to me, but still making sure that the translation were okay, at least 
your using simulators and all that. Of course, I was not doing cross country skiing myself. But, and um, that that sounds very interesting. Did, so, did you have other similar interesting requests? And, and how do you how do you simulate cross country skiing? Like, well, they they, they usually give us a, a tool or an emulators or something like that, so that it it gives data to the application so that it thinks ah, that you're doing that, but. Yeah, for example, when testing apps that are GPS and all that, we we they don't give us a car to drive around. <laughs> like usually, we have a, like JSON files that we just slide in the application, and then it just imitates a, a route or things like that. I see. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, where all was all this technology available when you started testing? Uh, no, there there are a lot of things that slowly evolved. Yeah. When I started testing, I think the it was the first iPhones or like the second or third generation. Let's say and now your phone can do pretty much everything, so it's it's a really different world. We used to test even on phones that still had like actual physical buttons and a pad and all that. <laughs> so yeah, the things definitely evolved since I started, and now there are lots of things that are. For example, for testing application, there are some where we don't even need an actual phone. We can do it uh, on a web-based uh, computer uh, application, for example, where you have a, you can pick which phone you want it to emulate, and then you just have the mm -hmm. phone on your screen, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely do, very different. Do you prefer that? Is it is it easier, or is it uh, better just to? Makes it easier phone. for like, uh, let's say dispatching the test to the tester where they can do it from home or something, then you know, that will be probably done faster than when you have to schedule everybody to come to the office and all that. Mm -hmm. Like when there is mm -hmm. a round on a website, for example, you know, that I send the, the task now it can be done by the day, a day or two while, uh, when you have 30 languages to text, to test, let's say you have to have. 30 people coming to the office, it's going to take a bit longer than if everybody gets it at home. Okay. Now, finally, uh, <laughs> you were saying that how things develop. So I'm trying to see how I can tie this to the next question. So how has sure. your curious curiosity developed over the years? <laughs> maybe, maybe a stupid segue. So let's, let me just say it. Um, I, I know a few things about you, like, like what, what are your hobbies, but I'm wondering what are you curious about right now? Definitely about the technologies evolving and all that. And mm -hmm. the, uh, yesterday, for example, we had a, a dinner with some of our customers and all, and they were talking about applications, which are now on the screens that open like the latest uh, Samsung phones that have like the, the, the screen actually like it's a touch screen, but that actually opens. So you can have a, a flat side or an entire screen. And they want to know like, uh, do we have like uh, the apps that can adapt to the screen when it's bigger and things like that? And you're like, I never thought of that. <laughs> mm. So that more text can be displayed if it's in the, the big mode rather than the small mode. You know, mm -hmm, like, this mm -hmm. is the cover, this is not the phone, but now the screen can be either just flat or I see. the whole thing. I see. Oh, yeah. And yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's something that's like, ah, I wonder how they're going to deal with that in the upcoming month when everybody will start to get those phones and then it will be the normal one to have. And 
every application right. will have to have two modes where it's like one screen or two screens. Right. Like that's, uh, well, yeah. When we started to have, for example, the first, uh, the first Windows phone back then, the Lumia phones from Nokia and things like that, it was, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. wow, this is all new. <laughs> we can test that and play with it. Well, nobody knows about it yet. It's always nice to play with new toys, let's say. <laughs> right, right. Oh, of course, of course, of course. But, but are you interested in tech, I mean, outside of your work? Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, like uh, not work, video games and entertainment things mostly, but uh, also with uh, computer and phone uh, technology, I keep, uh, keep in, uh, informed about it. What is something that people seem to misunderstand about you? And maybe just to rephrase the question, in case it's not clear, which I wouldn't be surprised. Actually, I have an idea about okay. about the answer. Not that I thought about it, <laughs> but but just to just to give you the context is that. So you work with I don't know, let's say a lot of testers, and you interview them, mm -hmm. and they probably have some first impression of you, right? Or like even if you meet people outside, or if you meet clients, or just new people outside of work. So they, I don't know, make up some assumption about you, like how you could be. And then after some time, they are like, oh, like, I thought you were like this, but you were like the complete opposite. So that's what I mean when I say like what people misunderstand about you. Like, like you give this impression or maybe even after some time, but like deep down, you're, you know, that you're completely different. Is there something like that for you? I think you, you even mentioned that, uh, when I replied <laughs> to you on LinkedIn, you were saying, I thought you would be super serious. And <laughs> that actually made me think after I was like, how many people must like <laughs> just think that I'm a totally but different what, person. Was I the first one who said it or did you have this? No, actually I've heard that before as well. So I don't know if I have a, right. an exterior that I looks. <laughs> mean yes, or... exactly. <laughs> Like, like we should just cut the part where you, I don't know, make some, some joke because you like to do a lot of. No. Jokes. Yeah. Usually when the testers come for the first time, they're a bit like nervous or something. I know like usually making a joke or something like that kind of breaks the ice really fast and yeah, then yeah, yeah. we can move on to. Yeah. You should put that on LinkedIn. <laughs> but dude, I was even thinking about it. It could be just my own personal um trauma from the past <laughs> when okay. i was working for the, when i was working for the for the second company i think one of my colleagues kind of looked like you he maybe oh. didn't have such a big bear but he was also like a like a big tall guy <laughs> and I, i think he used to i wouldn't say bully me a little bit but our co collaboration wasn't very smooth so i think maybe that's another reason why well i was kind of like a scared did you report you. him to hr at least <laughs> So talking about yourself, and this is the question that a lot of the people struggle with. So I'm wondering what you are going to say. Are there any absurd or stupid things that you do that let's say majority of the people in the world would say that's crazy, but for you, it's like a normal thing. A lot of people would probably believe that I am financially irresponsible because I buy lots of toys and things like that, but, uh, that's my thing. <laughs> so. What, what kind of toys? Uh, mostly like action figures and, uh, things that are, that either, uh, I had in my childhood and like made me happy as a child. So I get them to 
happy. Happy as an adult to try to get that small happiness that you can right the, that amount or uh, new things that are nice and shiny and that I want to play with <laughs> to touch. <laughs> no, I also take photography of toys and all that, like a nice toy photography with dioramas and backgrounds and all that and lightings and all that. It's pretty fun. It's a, as a hobby, at least it, it's interesting and fun for me. Hmm. Also music and a couple of other stuff. Watch way too much series and movies. Uh, that a lot of people consider a waste of time, I guess, but. Right. Should I even ask you uh, House of the Dragons or Ring of Rings of Power? I House of the Dragons more. <laughs> <laughs> like everybody. <laughs> get to... Really? Oh, oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of sh shit ton um, of critics. Lots of complaints. Lot of the Rings, but... Huh? but I haven't watched it yet. I, I'm really okay. into House of the Dragons right now. I, yeah. I we watched it yesterday. The new episode. I really like it. Yeah. But I also heard some a lot of positive things about Lord of the Rings. Like I'm not a huge like a Tolkien fan. Like I'm not sure if you are. Well, I grew up uh, when the movies were out and all that. Just I imagine you did. So I saw the first three movies and all that. I had read the books after that because I was into it. But okay. but uh, I didn't start as by the books. I started with the movies and then read the books. Yeah. So about the, the action figures. So is there any <laughs> utility? <laughs> With, with with the figures <laughs> zero or is, is, it, is it or is it just that you just display it somewhere and that yeah is, i display it's, them it's kind of like buying art yeah basically it is and there's actually some that uh, in the end end up having more value later so that in the mm. end it's like literally an investment <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 do do you have any anything favorite that you collect or is it just um, about the sh shiny the level of shiny no it's uh, mostly like uh, either from series or movies that i like if there is some sort of merch i would try to get some or mostly from uh comic books and uh like batman for example being one of my bigger elements in the collection let's say i have a lot of batman related things so yeah <laughs> you should have put on some do you have a batman t-shirt I have one in the back somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I also have one, so we should have put it on instead of ah. Symbio. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Batman. <laughs> it was the Batman day, just a Sunday, I think. Oh, really? Just a Saturday, yeah. Oh, like officially. what did you do for the Batman day? <laughs> I actually rewatched the first two, the Tim Burton movies. The Okay. Is that your most favorite one, or do you do you prefer the Nolan ones? I used to love, really love the the Dark Knight one. At least the Dark Knight Rises never did because it was kind of bad, and the Batman Begins was great, but it was taking a lot of liberties. Let's say the Tim Burton one were taking lots of liberties as well, so it's not really <laughs> fair to compare like that. But uh, since I grew up uh, with the Keaton and then Kilmer and Clooney one, even if they were terrible. I was a kid back then, so for me it was great. <laughs> so those are the ones that I hold, I hold a special place in my heart, let's say. But but to me, I think my first like main touch or interest was the 
how's it called? The Batman, the animated series? The animated you know, series, the yes, ones? definitely. Same. Those are like super good. That's, I, that's I still love I them. I rewatched recently, actually, the whole thing, and it still holds up. And to this day, if you read a comic book or anything, it's the voice that you hear, at least in your head, the mm. Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill right. for the Joker and all that. That's the voices right. that I hear in my head when I read it. So, yeah. Right, right. Okay, now let's take a little bit of a darker turn. <laughs> my notorious question, what do you think is wrong with our industry? And by that, I mean localization. I think there is a lot of misunderstanding from a lot of companies and all that, that think that they don't need localization or localization testing, at least for me, even because I know lots of companies just like, we don't have budget for it. So we'll just skip the testing part. And you're like, yeah, but then it looks bad in five languages. That's on you. Like that's not. A... So there's a lot of, um, like people don't think it's as useful as it is and that is sad. <laughs> like understanding that if you have an app that is translated in five or six different languages and can be opened by people around the world, thousand more people around the world is definitely working for you than against you. So why would you think that it's stupid to have a localization? That's just, yeah, it's probably misunderstood that they think it's just translation, but it's a bit more than that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you could speak to the minds of <laughs> everyone in the industry, or maybe the people that, that, that think that testing and localization is, is a nonsense, what would mm -hmm. you tell them? Well, don't take shortcuts. Like do, do not, for example, use Google translation to translate an application and then just send it to testing so that they can fix all the mistakes. That's not how it should be. You should have a real localization team taking care of things like that. So, right. Yeah. All right. Is there anything that I, you think I should have asked you, but I didn't? Uh, no, I guess you've been pretty thorough. Anything you want to share to the, to the world. <laughs> Localize things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Nicholas, thank you very much for the, for the interview. It was nice uh, learning. You're welcome. Manual testing. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And it was fun. And all right. Awesome. Enjoyed it. Thank you. And see you some other time. Bye-bye.